All right, so don't you love this worship uh, couple duet? Um, but not only that, you guys, to me it sounds like you sing four-part harmony, or I don't know, are there four parts in harmony, or is it three-part harmony? I'm, Anyway, you're amazing. The room sounds really full when you're singing. Barb, I am so impressed with you and your women's ministry and your team and the decoration and the prayers and the thoughtfulness and everything that you've put into this. And I'm pretty sure we could be best friends. We have white and denim, and I have pink nail polish with your pink top, right? And our shoes. I got the memo that I should match the pastor's wife. Um, so that's really... Kind of cool. Um, anyway, Annie, this is maybe one of the best compliments I can give anyone. You remind me of a young Kay Smith. And I remember sitting under Kay, and your gifting and your approach and your passion are so much like her that um, it is just, I have such a heart for the next generation and for seeing um, our daughters and our grandchildren take the gospel further, farther, faster than we ever have. So to be able to sit and enjoy from the depth of my heart her teachings has been amazing. So I just want to thank you. Um, and then just a quick note about this Reload Love. Um, I'm going to try and be quick. Um, about two years ago, I was in the shower. And, and I won't go sideways from there. But um, I don't know why I started thinking about, um, I think I'd seen a bracelet kind of like this online. And I went, I wonder if you could make bracelets from spent bullet casings, melt them down and turn them into something pretty. And then the Lord just put it in an ark and help children who are impacted by terror. Now, this was all completely random thoughts for me. So I got right out of the shower wet, Googled spent bullet casings. They're everywhere. The military doesn't reuse them. Our police officers don't. In case of misfire, you don't want the cartel to get them. So um, within weeks, I had 1,000 pounds of spent bullet casings in my office. Everybody started donating them to us. And then New Mexico is known for silver jewelry, right? So I went to one of the jewelry stores, and I told them I wanted to make a bracelet. And she thought silver, and I said, no brass. And she goes, oh, we can do brass. And I said, well, can you melt bullets? And she went, <gasps> you know, like, I don't know. I was demon-possessed or something. And then she started crying, and she said, let's just say you bring me as many bullets as you can, and I'll try. And I had to find um, a guy that bought a crucible. Just think of all that, what melting down our lives and burning over the fire and purifying. And they had to get the right crucible to melt these down because people really don't melt bullets to make jewelry. You really need different kind of alloy in your brass. But anyway, they did it. And uh, we started selling these for awareness and to help children impacted by terror. Now, this is what the Lord told me. I knew no children impacted by terror. So Franklin Grand's a friend of ours, and he came to town, and I told him, and Franklin's a redneck. I mean, they have guns, lots of guns. And I said, I'm collecting spent bullet casings and melting them, you know, and he's like, Ehh. and um, I said, and I want to help children impacted by terror. And so he says to me, you should go to Burma. And I'm like, where's Burma? <laughs> and he goes, do you go to this place and in the jungle and there's landmines and da, 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 and they're killing children and you should go, but it'll take you two days to get there. You have to go on a boat, a non-permissive environment, hike in, go, 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 miles. And he said, and you can help the children in Burma. 
Within three months, I was backpacking and hiking my way into Burma. I really am Malibu Barbie, not G.I. Jane. <laughs> and honestly, since I've started doing this, I hang out with like Jason Bourne. I have a best friend who is a CIA operative. And a lot of the guys I hang out now with are special ops guys. No joke. I shot my first gun in Burma. And so, <laughs> and I was this close. No. But um, so anyway, um, we started helping there and I met these really special people. I wish I could even just, my whole teaching could be this. All this to say, in two years, we've raised over half a million dollars. I don't raise money. I don't even ask for $10, let alone that. Last year, we were able to help kids who have been kidnapped, raped, and impregnated by ISIS. And if they're found out, they're killed. You know, there's honor killings. So we were able to support a program in an IDP camp so that these kids would be able to have their children and their family would accept them. We've built safe spaces for children to be able to learn. And then the Lord laid something else crazy on my heart. It was like we had gone and done this thing in Iraq. We've done it in Iraq and Jordan and Lebanon and Cambodia, Thailand and Burma, all in two years. And uh, it was like everybody was rushing, not everybody, they're killing Christians. Do you guys know this? That in Iraq and Mosul, it was, it, it's ancient Nineveh. This is like the heart of Christianity. There used to be a million and a half Christians in Mosul. There aren't even a few thousand left. And they're decapitating children and crucifying children. And I just can't figure out why sometimes the church in the West isn't getting this. And... Um, when I was in Jordan at Christmas time, I met a bunch of Syrian women who had escaped through the desert. They're eating grass in Aleppo, in, in Syria. And these women were now in Jordan with their children, and um, I asked them if they would tell me what to express to the United States. And one lady stood up, and she said um, that we didn't understand the conflict was so horrific. It wasn't political. It wasn't just uh, Syria versus ISIS versus Putin versus, you know, whoever. That it was now down to neighborhood to neighborhood. And you couldn't even trust your neighbors because your neighbors would kidnap your children for ransom. And her two boys who were school age were crossing the street holding hands and a sniper shot one. The one who survived developed a head tick and stopped talking and became non-communicative, and she had to walk through the jungles to get into Jordan. They have no place to live. They have nothing left. And um, this wonderful pastor there was trying to reach out to these kids. And so she brought her son, and, and, and from a time where he was drawing pictures of guns, he now draws flowers and is talking again. Well, what the Lord laid on our hearts was that we wanted to leave something tangible because just coming in and leaving, they feel like, you know, you just did a flyover. So we, the Lord put it in our hearts to start building playgrounds. And so we say we're turning battlegrounds into playgrounds. And so in May, we're building two playgrounds in Jordan. In June, I'm flying to Iraq and we're building two playgrounds in Iraq. And it sounds really counterintuitive why go build a playground for kids who need food. 
that kids just need a future and a hope. They say for anyone who's been traumatized, even if you have been sexually abused or violence in your neighborhood, you could live in Oakland and there's guns, okay? Whatever your trauma is, the best thing you can do for a child for them to recoup is what I call CAN. There's three things. Number one is see calm, to provide a safe place, a calm place afterwards. A is acknowledgement that you let them know it's not their fault. They didn't do it. They didn't ask to be born in that place with that stuff happening, with these things going on. These children are innocents, and I hate that we have to use bullets and babies in the same sentence. But that's the world we live in. And then finally, N is normalcy. If you can restore normalcy to a traumatized child as quickly as possible, it gives them a future and a hope. And those are things like soccer balls and coloring books and schools and stability and, yes, a playground where they can climb higher, swing further, dream of a future. And you know what's going to happen to these kids? A six-year-old boy in 10 years is going to be prime target to be radicalized. And so hopefully there's a playground in the middle of this craziness and we write on every playground, let the little children come to me, Jesus. And we put a flag of love on top of it. And it's the hope that these kids can have something that's different. Somebody did love us. It's not that. And so that's what Reload Love is. And uh, so a donation of any kind, uh, buy the jewelry, tell people about it. We're just trying to make people more aware of the plight of terror victims and uh, to do something about it. So that's what Reload Love is. And it's a good segue into the Holy Spirit because this was the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. When I said yes, I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I didn't even know where to find bullets. So now here I am two years later, and I think if you take one step after the next step after the next step, God will guide you and he will direct you. And so I encourage you, dream big. Dream big, big, big. I love that she's looking for women like this. Women who will do whatever the next. There was one lady that she became known as the peanut butter and jelly lady, and she didn't know what to do, but after school there were, you know, house key kids, and she just made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for them after school and let them come to her house and be safe. It grew into an enormous ministry. If you've got peanut butter and jelly, you can do something. And I believe this with all my heart. God has such great plans for you, exceedingly abundantly above all that I could hope, imagine, or ask. That's a part of this text. We're turning to Ephesians chapter 3, starting at about verse 14. And I'm calling this, You Were Born to Bling. Because everybody loves bling bling, right? And uh, I think the Holy Spirit is the best adornment for any godly woman. It's the most beautiful thing to adorn yourself with that meek and quiet spirit, that grace, the word. And so many of us don't. Paul says in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees. This is a fantastic prayer. Pray it over yourself. Pray it over others. Use Paul's prayer. I therefore bow my knee to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole Family in heaven and earth is named. Loved it. You are a child of God, a child of the light. You are named. 
with the whole family in heaven and earth, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend really the incomprehensible, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, we ask or think according to that power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations, would that include you? Yes. To all generations forever and ever, amen. That is one powerful prayer. Born to bling. Danny Sampson needed money. He lived in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. He took a hand-me-down 45 occult <laughs> And he robbed a bank for $6,000. When the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, I always think of Dudley Do-Right. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> when they finally got him, they took the gun to a laboratory, and it was a collector's item worth $100,000. Clearly, Danny did not need to rob banks. But I find that so many of us live like Danny, unaware of our heavenly possessions. And so we are fools, and we rob banks in our own way through the path of the flesh. Maybe we try to find power in a pill or politics, love through lust, understanding at a university, or bravery in a bottle. But all of these are attempts to fulfill our needs the wrong way, like Danny. Robbing banks for something worthless when something priceless is available to us. The Bible teaches that you don't have to rob a bank to get rich. Instead, you should possess your possessions because you have some possessions in Christ. Possess them. He has given you promises if you would but claim them. The Spirit reveals the depths of these riches in this text, the riches of his glory that you may be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And then it goes on and on with a long line of more blessings. Well, the first blessing in this is the spirit's power. It says in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, I want you to notice the source of this, and it says according to the riches of of his glory. So where are you getting your riches? From him. His the source, his glory. And I want you to note that Paul doesn't say out of God's riches, but according to God's riches. Now that sounds like nitpicky English, but it's not. If I am a billionaire, which I'm not, but just pretend Bill Gates is here, and you got a billionaire in your midst, and you need money, and I go, here, I'll give you $10. Is that giving according to my riches or out of my riches? According, what if I gave you a million bucks? Because I have so much. The first is portion. The other is proportion. 
What I'm trying to say to you is God's got enough. Whatever you need, God's got enough of it. He's got that and more. Now, I think you'll find this fascinating. I wonder if you guys know. In 2014, in the San Francisco area, even in Oakland, there was this guy that started leaving bundles of blessings, hidden cash, at hidden cash. Did you guys hear about it? Do you know anyone that found anything? Oh. Well, anyway, he was a tycoon, a real estate tycoon, and he had gotten a lot of money, and he was a millionaire, and he said he wanted to start giving back. So one weekend, he tucked $4,000 in envelopes and hid it everywhere. And he kind of said, I've made millions the last few years, and I have a lot of friends without money, and I just want to give it back in some crazy ways. I'm like, that's awesome. But you know what? God's got hidden riches for you. And instead of going on a treasure hunt to the parks and benches and byways of uh, the Bay Area, maybe you should be in the book and finding what your riches are there. And what source has he given? 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. I think this is one of the scriptures that Annie quoted. So if he has everything, and it's available to you, he's just waiting for you to ask, why don't you have them, or why aren't you using them? Well, maybe you're like Ebenezer Scrooge. You've got all this wealth, but you're just greedily hoarding it away and treasuring it up because God gives it so you can use it. I read about this guy named George Conite. He is living off the grid. You hear these off-the-grid people? Like, no phones, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. <laughs> Anybody Gilligan's Island? Am I that? Okay. I'm like, am I that old? Oh. So um, anyway, he didn't have heat, indoor plumbing. He did have electricity, but he only allowed it himself one light. And uh, he hadn't been to the doctor in decades, and he was found dead. There was $3 million in his bank account kind of wonder why he was living that way. So there's a source that of these riches, and the source of this riches is to strengthen you with power, it says. The glory of his riches, to strengthen you with power. And I want you to know that this is power in a person. Power in the person in a relationship, the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oh, I'd love to tell a story there. Power means dunamis, literally where we get the word dynamite. The kind of power God has for you is dynamite power. It's unbelievable nuclear stuff we're talking about. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there are three ways that I loved what you did with the glorification, what God does for me, God does with me, God does in me, because it follows this idea of these prepositions in reference to you and the Holy Spirit. And they are in, with, and upon. And the first one is he is with us, para, Pre-salvation. The Holy Spirit is with you before you got saved. You know that now, but maybe if you're an unbeliever out there, you didn't know the Holy Spirit's with you right now. And his job is to come and convict you of sin. 
It says in John 16, 7, if you do not go away, Jesus, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit comes with us to convict us. Look, I was a raving sinner. And eventually my guilt caught up to me. And I had to go, what do I do with who I am? Where do I go with this shipwreck? with me to convict me. He comes in us at salvation, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he comes in you at salvation. Lord, come into my heart. Take over my life. I receive the washing of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead. Make yourself at home here. He comes in us. The last function of the Holy Spirit is this upon. In the Greek word, it's epi, E-P-I. The Holy Spirit comes upon us in what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are freaking out now because you're pretty sure I'm going to go into tongues and swing from something. <laughs> but that is not the function of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says, You shall receive power, that's what we're talking about, when the Holy Spirit has come upon, a P, you, and you will be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay, I can't stand it. When I was in Burma, this guy that I was working with is a Texas Ranger, special ops guy, and he took his whole family out of the United States to live in the jungles of Burma to help find people who are being shot, bombed, raped, and pillaged by the Burmese army. And he trained up Burmese all over the country in the last 20 years, over 300 guys who speak all the tribal languages, and their sole goal in life is to run to the bullets. And when they run to the bullets, they take these tribal people out to get them safe, to share the gospel with them. <laughs> and um, when I was there, I was, Franklin, go to the jungles of Burma. So I'm in the middle of the jungles of Burma and I have brown brothers and they wouldn't mind me saying that. There's no weird ethnic thing in that, okay? And they were praying when I got there to go to Iraq. And that's where I was going. The next step for me was Iraq. And so they called me into their tribal meeting, kind of like Survivor, but not. And so we're in this hut at night and bats are flying through the bamboo and stuff. It's crazy. And they're all talking, should we go to Burma? And they run it like a tribe. They're speaking all the different languages, whether it's Karin, Karen, Sean, Wa, and they're talking, and they're like, I don't know, do, do we leave Burma? That doesn't seem right, and da-da-da-da, and so finally they go, what do you think, Lenya? And I'm like, uh, I don't even know how I got into this jungle, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> if I hurt myself, one of you are carrying me out, so I'm not sure you want advice from Malibu Barbie. But um, so I said, look, I learned some wisdom from my pastor, Chuck Smith, that God works in a certain way, that when he gives his power, he makes us witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. I go, I got to tell you, Albuquerque is my Jerusalem. New Mexico is my Judea. The United States is Samaria. And I just happen to be in the uttermost parts of the world right now. 
And I said, so I have no idea why God sent me here. But I do know this. God doesn't change his strategy no matter where. Why wouldn't God take my Burmese brothers who have been saved from Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, and send them to Iraq where they think Americans are white Satan, that we are the crusaders. Why wouldn't he send somebody from Burmese, from Burma? And then the ISIS is like, what? Who? Wait, the jungles of Burma? So they went. We sponsored a team with Reload Love who these guys went up to the front lines to help train the Peshmerga on how to get people out of villages and rescue them and bring them medicine. How amazing is our God that he lets me go to the jungle to say, yeah, I think you guys should go to Iraq. It's crazy. So the Spirit comes upon us, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is power. We're back to power. And it's power with a full battery. The second evidence is that it's for a purpose. The reason he gives us the power is the purpose, and the purpose is that you would be witnesses. Walk in the light. Be the children of the light. You are a witness now. He has passed the baton. He was the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Go be light. And the third evidence of the Holy Spirit is presence, as in gifts. Before and after baptism, I'll tell you what, you, you wouldn't even know me. Um, I was terrified. I got saved at 20, like I told you. And as someone took me street witnessing, I wouldn't say a word. That you would take me out to things, I was terrified. God changed me, and it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that brought the change in my life. He gave me power to be a witness, and then he gave me gifts. This is power through a person, and it's the Spirit. Now, Spirit in Hebrew is ruach. It literally means breath or wind, as in when you're jogging, panting, blowing bubbles. It's the breath of the Spirit. Some of you may feel out of breath, but he can give you that breath. Acts 2.2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as the rushing of mighty wind. It filled the whole house, and they were filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so let's think about that wind, and let's think about harnessing the wind. How many of you need power in your life? How many of you want to dream these dreams, be a witness, do what God wants you to do, and you're just like, but I'm Malibu Barbie. I don't know, whoever you are. I'm just making a joke of myself, okay? Um, Harness the spirit. Sailboats, they put up a sail. When they catch the wind, wow, they can go fast and far, right? How about a windmill? catches the wind. It can create electricity. It can do amazing things. What about a kite? Have you been dragged down as we've seen? Do you want to fly and soar and be above with an eagle's view? The spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, this is Paul speaking, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are a diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Does that mean you got the Spirit? 
Does that mean you've got the Spirit? Does that mean you can have the Spirit? It's given to each one. For the profit of all, you get it to help us, to help each other. So when you get these presents, these gifts, they're diverse. There are three texts in Scripture that share about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. That's your complete list. And I'm going to just share a few of them. But I've given you a flyer that has all of them, okay? So don't feel cheated. And then I'm going to explain how these gifts may operate so you can get a better view of it. Teaching, the supernatural ability to explain clearly and apply effectively the truth of God's word. I have the gift of teaching. I love to explain clearly the truth of God and give you a way to apply it to your lives. The gift of teaching. Exhortation means encouragement, comfort, to console, entreat, beg, implore. Basically, this is our gal right here. I want to come out of the seat when she is down there and go, yes, 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 yes. Let's do it. Don't you? That's what encouragers do. Prophecy. She's a little bit prophetic. The Spirit gives the ability to proclaim the written word with clarity and apply it to specific situations to correct someone or to edify. Very prophetic gift. Helps. Practical assistance to release other people to do other things. Those practical people. Administration enables someone to provide leadership in matters of organization. Evangelism. Hello, Billy Graham. Hello, Greg Laurie. Evangelism, proclaiming the good news and people get saved. Now, um, so far this has not happened. I do not have a strong gift of evangelism, even though I've thrown out the net. But I'm trusting today you're going to get saved despite that I am weak, if you have come here. So let me give you an example of how this would work. What's the name of the resort we're staying at or the hotel? Fountain Grove Inn. Okay, and so they have a pool. So let's just say tonight I go, come on over to the Fountain Grove Inn. Woo, party! Malibu Barbie putting it on. And so you guys go, okay, we'll head over there. Why not? Let's do a pool party. And uh, so we're having this pool party, and then sweetly Barb comes in late, and she's carrying like all these groceries and things because she wanted us to have more chocolate. And so she comes in, and as she's running across the pool area, she slips and falls, and everything flies out of her hands. This is how these gifts would respond to the situation. The prophet would point out that there's a sign clearly posted that says, no running in the pool area. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not run in the pool area. The exhorter would say, it's okay. You didn't mean to, but you can get up and go. Come on, we can do this again. It's all right. The teacher would explain the reason for the rule at the plate. You know, if you wear rubber-soled shoes, when you're in wet areas, next time you won't fall. 
And then the person with helps have already cleaned everything up and have it organized neatly on a table over by the side. You didn't even know they were doing it. Who were those masked people? Where did they come from? How did that happen? The administrator would say, you know, Lenny is a little sporadic, but if we're going to do this again, next time A through G's, you bring dessert. H through K's, you bring sodas. And they would have it like, next time this thing is going to be just finely tuned. And the evangelists would get up and say, you know, there are CPR courses to save lives at pools. And so I want to make sure that all of you can know these breath, life-giving, you know, tools, push, and, you know, bring to life. These are how the gifts work. They work very supernaturally, naturally. Emphasis. Now, there is a difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift. And that should be noted. The Spirit's work is to glorify the Son. And if what you're doing is not magnifying the Lord, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. People who want to draw attention to themselves and, and really do goofy things, weird things, and call it the Spirit, no, I'm not sure. Because the Spirit is a gentleman. Jesus told the disciples in John 16, 12, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's gifts will also point to Jesus Christ and not draw attention to themselves. So I'm giving you these lists, and maybe some of you already have gifts of the Spirit, or you've been baptized and you're wondering what your gifts are. Here are three ways to make a confirmation that you indeed have one of these gifts, okay? Number one is personal inclination. After I got saved, I was not baptized, and I was trying to do a lot of different things and was highly ineffective. I went to a retreat like this, received the Holy Spirit, and I could not stop sharing the gospel after that. But I also got this feeling inside that I'd be reading the scripture, and I'd think, I think I could teach that. I think I could explain that. I just kind of had this unction, this feeling, this idea that that seemed to be something I should do. So the first is personal inclination. The second public recognition. Now, if I don't have the gift of teaching, y'all are going to know pretty quickly that I ought not to be up here, and I guarantee you've been somewhere where someone doesn't have the gift, and you kind of want to pull your eyeballs out. <laughs> I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? The public will recognize that this is indeed a gift. And then third, providential blessing. If God's bringing forth fruit, it's his spirit. He's doing the work. So this is the spirit. In this text, we move next to Christ's presence. And it says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Grace through faith. So I'm saying to you, you don't just get the power and the person and the presence, you get the presence the very presence of God in your life, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. The year my parents divorced was a hard year for our family. Three little kids and my mom went back home and lived in my grandparents' barn. And the first Christmas morning was really sad without your dad. 
And we got invited to an uncle's house, like an old uncle, like this is supposed to make up for a male figure in your life. And uh, we're at his house, and I'm just thinking, I just miss my dad. I don't care what presents are here. I just miss my dad. And knock, knock, knock on the door, and Santa was there, and you were supposed to sit on Santa's lap and tell him what you want. And I noticed Santa's twinkling eyes and pulled the beard, and it was my dad. Best Christmas present I ever received. So I don't pursue the Holy Spirit for what he can give me. I pursue him because he's the giver. I get the giver, not just the gifts. Now, when Christ dwells in your heart through faith, a lot of us think this is salvation. It is not. This is someone who God is already Savior. He's already in the life, but he wants to dwell at home and settle and rearrange the furniture. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, Jesus speaking, he will obey my teaching My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode, our dwelling place with him, Christ, in your heart. I heard about a three-year-old girl was snuggling on her mom's chest. You know how you do. And her mommy says, what are you doing? She goes, I'm listening for Jesus in your heart. And her mom says, well, what do you hear? And she goes, sounds like he's making coffee to me. Jesus wants to dwell in your heart, to settle down, to feel at home, the fixed, permanent abode, to make your human personality his home, absolutely his home. Someone said, Jesus Christ did not come to get men out of hell and into heaven. He came to get himself out of heaven and into men and women. He wants to live in your heart by faith, permanently. This brings up the idea of lordship. That's the concept here, not just savior, but lord. This is where some of us get stuck, Barb. Whereas pastor's wives, we like, ah, can they just get this? Because you want them to be Lord, not just Savior. It's not just get out of jail free card. It is Lord of your life where you live your life for him. Now, right after I got saved, I joined Youth at the Mission. Has anybody ever heard of Youth at the Mission? So I was with Youth at the Mission, and I was one of the single women counselors. And I had this cutest little son outfit that was, um, you can tell I like shoes. It was this cutest little, um, like, uh, overalls. It had a little crisscross thing, and it was pink and white striped and little shorts. And it was so adorable. And I came downstairs one day, and one of the guys said, you're really stumbling me. Could you go change? I was like, what the heck? Get over it. <laughs> it's your problem. No. He's the Lord of my life, and I don't want to stumble my brother. I don't know, but some of you are stumbling my brother. And you ought to rethink what you're wearing, what you're doing, what you're reading, what you're purporting. Because when he's Lord, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of what I wear, what I do. This is the idea of lordship, his presence. And his presence is permanent. It says, through faith. I quoted this earlier, Colossians 2, 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted 
and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you are taught. Rooted is a plant term. Anybody like plants? That great big giant tree with the little seed? It's like, whoa. Okay, this is someone who's rooted. Grounded is an architectural term, that you've built such a good foundation that the Bay Bridge won't fall over if something happens. And there comes a time in everyone's life, there will be an earthquake. Maybe it is divorce papers. Maybe it is debt. For me, one of those days when I found out I had cancer, that's a game changer. And you find out where your roots and your foundation are on those kinds of days. St. Thomas Aquinas said, Give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart, which no unworthy affection may drag downwards. Give me an unconquered heart, which no tribulation can wear out. Give me an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. So Christ's presence, and this presence is to give us a passion. When Christ comes to dwell in our hearts through faith, it's to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. May I just say that I think for some of you, you may need a baptism of love. We live in a broken world. There are more single homes than there are biological homes. There is more brokenness in our world than there is wholeness in our world. Josh McDowell once said, I believe two of the greatest fears people struggle today with are the fear that they will never be loved or the fear that they will never be able to love. People are seeking meaningful, intimate, lasting relationships. I don't believe we've had a sexual revolution. I believe we have experienced a revolution in search of intimacy. <laughs> Married ladies, are you really looking for sex? Or are you looking for intimacy? The world's so messed up, they think sex is intimacy. And it's not. And I was this person, after being divorced, my parents divorced, I really thought I could never love anyone enough to marry them. Or no one would ever love me enough to stay married to me. And I was terrified. I wasn't really looking forward to getting married. I just didn't think the cards were in it for me. Oh, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Romans 8, 38, I am persuaded neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I know right now I'm saying this specific to someone's heart. Jesus will never leave you. He is not the father that you knew. He is not the husband that you knew. He is not the guy that backed out and left you in a relationship with a child. God loves you, and it is an everlasting love that you can depend on. I am like almost shaking that God loves you. Please, whoever that is, that's your word. He loves you says that you would know the love of Christ. That means grasped and laying hold of something from yourself. It's when truth moves 18 inches from here to here. That you may know 
the love of Christ. Knowing it here is not enough, is it? Knowing it here, that you may know the love of Christ. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Sure, you need the gifts, but you need the love. You can't give what you don't have. Some of you have been trying to love people and you don't have it. And God wants to fill up your cup with love that it would runneth over so that you would be able to love in a way that is endless. And you feel like you don't got it. And you might not because you don't know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Let me show you a real life example. I read a book from a surgeon, and he was a plastic surgeon, and these are his words. I stand by the bed where a young woman lays, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one of the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. To remove the tumor in her cheek, the surgeon had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in evening lamplight. Isolated from me, privately, they touch each other generously. The woman speaks, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, it will. I had to cut the nerve. She nods silently and looks to her husband who smiles and says, I like it. It's kind of cute. And at once, I know I'm in the presence of God. Unmindful to my presence, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I'm so close. I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's love. You know, love, God is loving a crooked world. He has bent down to you and loved such a crooked life. Such a messed up person. So, the Spirit, the Son, and finally God's potential. It ends this passage on this apex that is just unbelievable. It says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So once he wants us to know the unknowable, now he wants to be filled with the fullness. To contain the uncontainable is the idea. And we are literally filled with the Trinity. In verse 15, to be strengthened with the Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. To be filled with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now I want to tell you what full means. To be full is to speak of a fullness that has total dominance. Tupperware. Have you ever put something disgusting in Tupperware and forever Tupperware smells like that? It was filled to the full and it is now dominated by what had been in there. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the idea of filled to the fullness of God to be dominated. For instance, a person filled with rage is dominated by hatred. You bump into someone and you'll find out what they're full of. It'll come out in one way or another. By definition, then, to be filled with God is to be emptied of self. 
that you are so empty that you can be filled with him. Not to have a little bit of God, but to have all of God. Not to take away a little of self, but to abandon all of self. To be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we have more of the Spirit. It means the Spirit has more of us. That you've yielded more room to the Spirit. And then he ends on this thing. I like to picture this like a pyramid. The way Paul ends this, he says, now. Now unto him. Now unto him who is able to do. Now unto him who is able to do all that we ask or think. Now unto him who is able to do all that we ask or think abundantly above all. Now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all we ask or think exceedingly abundantly. It's like Paul is just going, oh, can you imagine this prayer? Now unto him. It's him. It's him. It's him, grace. It's him. It's all him. His death for our life, it's him. Our lives that he may live through it, it's him. It's all him. Okay, so if God wants to work with exceeding abundant power in you, why isn't he? And the only answer can be, you might not want him to. The only thing that can limit a limitless God is you. Unwillingness to have it work or unbelief that it can work. Because that's the only possible conclusion. God, why would you go around robbing banks, popping pills, seeking men, to fill up an empty spot that can never be filled with anything else but God. Nothing else. There is not a thing out there, and I've tried most of it. None of it is going to fulfill you or fill you or change you or give you the love of your life and the purpose and the calling of your life. It's God. And the amazing thing is it's free. It's grace. It's grace, grace, abundant grace. There's not a thing you can do to get it. Nothing. Nothing. He freely gives it, but it must be freely received. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you want to fill us to the full, and that means we need to be empty of self. And so, Lord, I pray that you would empty this woman only to fill them. If you came here and it's that love thing that I just spoke about, that you're feeling this incredible, unworthy, unloving, unaccepted, if that's you, if you'd raise your hand, I just want to pray for you that God would baptize you with his love. God bless you and you, anybody else, you, you, you ladies over here. Oh, yes. Lord, we need your love, and we need a love that penetrates from, oh, the very hairs of our head to the tip of our toes, that it overwhelms our heart to be rooted and grounded, to know the height, depth, breadth, width of your love, Lord, that we would be unshakable. No man, no situation, nothing could steal that love from the core of our soul. In Jesus' name. Some of you have come here and you don't have power. 
and we're talking about power in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, it would be my honor to pray for you because I can't wait to come back next year. No, I'm just kidding. To come back sometime and to be able to see what God has done in your life in just one year. If you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit and you would like to have that upon that I'm talking about, if you'd raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. Would you do one more thing and stand up for me? Just because it's biblical. <laughs> and I'll tell you why it's biblical. Stand up if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't you be afraid. This is the power of God, man. This is your heavenly Father. This is your day to be launched out into the deep. This is now when you can live and be all that God wants you to be. Hallelujah. Okay, now it says that the Holy Spirit is received by the laying on of hands. And it also says that all we have to do is ask. It says, if, you're, if you want bread, would your father give you a stone? And if you want fish, would he give you a serpent? No, is the answer. How much more will he give the Spirit to those who ask? So I'm assuming those around these ladies have the Holy Spirit in them. Would you land hands on these women? The ones that are standing, lay your hands. That's what the scripture says, lay your hands. Okay, and then you ladies, just say, Heavenly Father, I receive your Holy Spirit. Fill me, baptize me. Give me the power, the love, the knowledge, and the fullness, Lord, to live a life that glorifies you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. I am so excited for you. This is one of my favorite, favorite things that you would have that. We're gonna ask once more, is there anyone here that does not have the presence of Jesus Christ in their life, that you don't know the love of God, that love that I was talking about, being a divorced child, that there's anyone here that does not know the love of God, poured out. Thank you. God bless you. I knew there was someone here. <laughs> Is there anybody else? Anybody else that would like to receive Jesus? Well, afterwards, we're going to have counselors come up here. And so if you want to talk to the counselors, receive a Bible, receive encouragement, you ladies who have prayed, if you would come up and do that. Now, my last words of explanation about this. If I had time, I'd do it with you. But I don't, I'm an over-teacher, okay? <laughs> and so what this is, is if you've asked to receive the Holy Spirit, one side of this gives you every gift and an explanation of what the gift is. So I guess it's Christmas and you're gonna to have to go home and unwrap these yourself. I'm sending you home with a present, okay? So that's the list of the gifts. On this side of the front page, there's a bunch of phrases or questions. And you're supposed to answer them and coordinate like number one on the, this list. I like organizing services and events. On this side, there's a number one and you're supposed to put in a number between one and five. So I like to organize services and events. One means almost never, that would be me. Two, seldom. Three, sometimes. Four, frequently. Five, almost always. So you're gonna put a one through five in every question and the corresponding blank spot. When you've done all that, you add across these rows and you're gonna get totals. Your highest total in that last column is probably your major gift, 
the thing you operate in. You may have two or three or four of these, and one will be higher. Maybe you've got two or three that are exactly the same. It's just letting you know probably the area in which God is calling you and you are most effective. So that way, you can start signing up to work in the children's ministry. You can be in the parking lot team, the grief ministry. You should start evangelizing. This is going to show you where you fit in the body of Christ. Because the gifts are given to each one for the profit of all. You cannot have a gift to yourself. You can't go home and say, Lenya, I'm going to teach you about this now. I just, Lenya, you need to get saved. Hallelujah, get saved, Lenya. That's not how the gifts work, right? You have to have other people to operate in your gifts. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, team, The Rock. And um, I pray you will never be the same and that God will do exceeding, abundant, above all you could ask or hope. Barb, I think you're going to have prayer members come up if they want more prayer. Okay, I passed the baton.